Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, November 29th, 2019. Thanks so much for tuning in. And this is the first Friday I've been here in a while. I've been uh, pre-recording earlier in the week, so it feels good to be here again on a Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we're on Ohlone land. And one way folks can give back to the land, and the folks who are stewards of the land, is to go to the Shumi Land Tax page, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I, Land Tax, and that'll take you to the Segura Te Land Trust, and folks can donate. And also, if you go to R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H dot com, you can also learn more about folks who are here in San Francisco, or what we know as San Francisco. So lots of ways to learn more, because there's certainly a lot of, one has to unlearn a bit, and learn other things as well. <sighs> so uh, I'm going to be just going through some news, playing some music in between to, to calm, calm us down a little bit. Opened up the show with a song I hadn't heard in a long time, and then I heard that the singer is coming out with a new book that's supposed to be pretty good, uh, Brett Anderson, and that's the band Suede, also known as London Suede. And I found out that he's bisexual, which is a nice thing. More queer folks, I guess, you know, we're always, we're always here, and when we find that there are more folks who have been out that makes me feel better certainly and that was their the long version of the song stay together followed by a band called Genghis Barbie with their cover of take on me we'll be playing some music throughout the show as per usual the news ugh, it's depressing and frustrating and disgusting and we're going to read through it so we can learn more and have an understanding of what we're what we're dealing with so I'm just going to go through here, and I'm, I'm still at the moment without a computer, and I've found there's a benefit to that in that I am not spending quite as much time online. Still a lot with the cell phone, of course. However, breaking the addiction a little bit in the meantime and taking this as a moment to not be online quite as much. So if you've listened to the show before, I oftentimes have things set up a little bit more in advance, and today 
not so much. So the segues might be a little bit rough. I think sometimes they are even when I do set up. However, we're just gonna gonna start here. And feel free to yell along because this news is fucking just, it's disgusting. And I recognize that's not really a big sell for the show. Like, hey, keep listening and then you'll get really depressed. However, if we understand what's happening and what has been happening for years, uh, that's the only way we can really fight back is to know what's happening and what we're up against. So, (sighs) all right. This, I've already started sighing and I haven't even started reading the first story yet. This comes from the Detroit Free Press, and this was written by Naraj Wariku, and it came out on November 27th. ICE arrests 90 more students at Fake University in Michigan. (sighs) ICE has arrested about 250 students who are enrolled at a fake university in Farmington Hills set up by ICE to lure in students. So that's entrapment. About 90 additional foreign students of a fake university in Metro Detroit created by the Department of Homeland Security have been arrested in recent months. A total of about 250 students have now been arrested since January on immigration violations by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement as part of a sting operation by federal agents who enticed foreign-born students, mostly from India, to attend the school that marketed itself as offering graduate programs in technology and computer studies, according to ICE officials. Many of those arrested have been deported to India, while others are contesting their removals. One has been allowed to stay after being granted lawful permanent resident status by an immigration judge. The students had arrived legally in the U.S. on student visas, but since the University of Farmington was later revealed to be a creation of federal agents— and I'm going to interrupt myself in the middle of a sentence because if you have the, everything is so fucking backwards. Like instead of like actually setting up schools for people so folks can be educated and learn and meet people, they decide to set up a a fake school. I mean, I just, it's, it reminds me of the cops who like have those fake bike thieving ceiling operations where they like have like bait bikes, I guess they're called. And then they like want people to steal them and then they catch people for stealing them instead of, I don't know, not prosecuting people for being poor. I don't know. Anyway, that's what that reminds me of. It's just the, it's just fucking cruel and evil. I don't even have the words for it. It's disgusting. All right, let's finish the sentence here. Okay. So, So the University of Farmington was later revealed to be a creation of federal agents. They lost their immigration status after it was shut down in January. The school was located on Northwestern Highway near 13 Mile Road in Farmington Hills and staffed with undercover agents posing as university officials. Out of the approximately 250 students arrested on administrative charges, nearly 80% were granted voluntary departure and departed the United States. The Detroit Office of ICE's Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, told the Free Press in a statement on Tuesday. Out of the remaining 20%, about half of them have received a final order of removal. Some of them were ordered removed by an immigration judge, and others were given an expedited removal by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. I don't know what they're protecting our borders from. Uh... The thing causing the most harm, of course, are right-wing terrorists, I'm just going to say it, who go around shooting churches and synagogues and causing lots of harm. And also, how about policymakers and people who want to remove benefits and folks who want to deny people health care and people who evict people from their homes? Those are the folks, I think, who are causing more terror in this country than immigrants, but... Gross. 
Oh, okay. The remaining 10% have either filed for some sort of relief or are contesting their removals from the Executive Office for Immigration Review, said H- HSI Detroit. ICE, and if also, it's just weird that we're like taking these folks at their word, ICE agents, for instance, Department of Homeland Security, considering they have lied. So ugh. I said in March that 161 students had been arrested, which has now increased to about 250. The 250 arrests took place from January to July said an ICE spokesperson. Meanwhile, seven of the eight recruiters who were criminally charged for trying to recruit students have pleaded guilty and have been sentenced in Detroit, including Pram Rampisa, 27, last week. The remaining one is to be sentenced in January. Attorneys for the students arrested said they were unfairly trapped by the U.S. government since the Department of Homeland Security had said on its website that the university was legitimate. An accreditation accreditation agency that was working with the U.S. on its sting operation also listed the university as legitimate. There were, more than six, there were more than 600 students enrolled at the university, which was created a few years ago by federal law enforcement officials with ICE. Records filed with the State Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs show that the University of Farmington <clears throat> was incorporated in January 2016. Many of the students had enrolled with the university through a program known as Curricular Practical Training, which allows students to work in the U.S. through a F-1 visa program for foreign students. Some had transferred to the University of Farmington from other schools that had lost accreditation, which means they would no longer be in immigration status and allowed to remain in the U.S. Emails obtained by the Free Press earlier this year showed how the fake university attracted students to the university, which cost about $12,000 on average in tuition and fees per year. The U.S. trapped the vulnerable people who just wanted to maintain legal immigration status. Rahul Reddy, a Texas attorney who represented or advised some of the students arrested, told the Free Press this week. They preyed upon them. The fake university is believed to have collected millions of dollars from the unsuspecting students. An email from the university's president named Ali Milani told students the graduate program's tuition is $2,500 per quarter and the average cost is $1,000 per month. They make a lot of money, Red said, Reddy said of the U.S. government. Reddy said that two of the students who were sent back to India through a voluntary departure agreement with ICE were denied entry into the U.S. after they tried to reenter this year. No one has filed a lawsuit or claim against the U.S. government for collecting the money or for allegedly entrapping the students. Uh, attorneys for ICE and the Department of Justice maintain that the students should have known it was not a legitimate university because they did not have classes in a physical location. Some CPT programs have classes combined with work programs at companies. Their true intent could not be clear, Assistant U.S. Attorney Brandon Helms wrote in a sentencing memo this month for Rampisa, one of the eight recruiters of the hundreds of students enrolled. While enrolled at the university, 100% of the foreign citizen students never spent a single second in a classroom. If it were truly about obtaining an education, the university would not have been able to attract anyone because it had no teachers, classes, or educational services. In the memo, federal prosecutor Baker said the case raises questions about the U.S. foreign student visa program. Baker wrote that immigration and visa programs have been hot-button topics in the United States for years, and national scrutiny has only been increasing, fairly or unfairly. Rampisa's conduct casts a shadow on the foreign student visa program in general, and it raises questions as to whether the potential for abuse threatens the outweigh to outweigh the benefits. Reddy said, though, that in some cases, students who transferred out from the University of Farmington after realizing they didn't have classes on site were still arrested. 
the article goes on a little bit more and ugh, 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 this is just just oh yeah so yes you can read this article at the detroit free press a lot of other publications have also covered it as well and just wanted to i didn't want to start off the show with this but thought that's one piece that folks should be talking about and also the fact that some of these universities have been or this one was set up even before this current administration so there's a story on npr this morning about that as well so wanted to share that oh however there are ways that folks can uh fight back and i'll be getting to those uh right now why not so there's if you go onto Twitter, there's a company, organization, an organization called Georgetown Privacy, and you can follow them at Georgetown CPT. They say, we're hiring. Are you interested in the intersections of privacy, technology, and immigration? Apply to join us as an associate working on immigrant surveillance and other issues. And I'm going to read a little bit more about this. This is at workdayjobs.com hmm interesting interesting and that's yeah Georgetown privacy and the Header on that is, uh, we are building a small team to expose ICE and CBP's vast data collection, data sharing, and surveillance networks. Apply to join the team. So this was tweeted by Alvaro Bedoya, and you can follow Alvaro and check out the tweet at A-L-V-A-R-O-M-B-E-D-O-Y-A. And again, the organization is Georgetown CPT. (sighs) So that's going to move us along to the next article I wanted to share. And I don't know. I am feeling kind of depressed already, which I wasn't quite uh, thinking I would. I don't know. Maybe it's lack of coffee or maybe it's really just understanding just how fucked things are and how people in positions of power are allowed to lie and do whatever they want to harm people. And a lot of time it's for greed and other folks who might lie in order to survive or end up being arrested. Um, something positive, though. Amazon workers walk out on Black Friday as global strike gets underway. There's a story at metro.co.uk. And I am going to move to this other story. Also, today happens to be Buy Nothing Day. So Adbusters has shared, today is Buy Nothing Day. Join us as we are as we resist the urge to splurge for 24 hours. It's time to break up with capitalism. We ask one simple question. Will you live or will you buy? Hashtag Buy Nothing Day. Uh, there's an article in theindependent.co.uk. Hungary's far-right government pulls out of Eurovision Song Contest because it is, quote-unquote, too gay. That's pretty disturbing. There's also, the 29th is also Fair Evasion Day. So around the world, folks are protesting how many transit agencies around the world have been cracking down on folks who might not be able to pay the fare. And instead of, I don't know, allowing people just on the trains or using whatever funds to supplement tickets for folks who can't afford it, they instead end up hiring cops 
to prosecute people, which ends up actually costing the transit agencies more in addition to causing harm and trauma among passengers. So I've <clears throat> so today is like the fair evasion day all around the world. And it started even yesterday, there was someone who shared students evasion in Toronto on the subway. So FJ underscore Newman shared that. I've also been retweeting a lot of this and that's how I found out a lot of information. Just wanting to spread the word along. You can follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. Oh, goodness. Also, some working class history. And again, just throwing some news out there. Uh, this is from Working Class History, which is a great feed to follow. And you can follow them at WRK Class History. They have tweets and a podcast. And I've learned a lot from the information that they've shared. And I think a lot of it is that for many of us, we don't learn a lot of what has happened in the world. In schools, it's either not written about or it's lied about or it's deliberately covered up. And so now is a time to learn the history, especially the people's history of what has happened. And I think it can guide us in this time and we can find ways of thinking of finding things that worked in the past, what didn't work, what we can change, what we can adapt to current times. And it also definitely gives me a lot of hope knowing how many folks have risen up in the past. And also just a sense of how fucked up things are now and folks have been fighting against that for such a long time. And that part is certainly enraging. However, it's the folks who are speaking up and sharing information and they either weren't listened to or they were gone after for their views. So this comes from, this is November 28th, which was yesterday. In 1985, a Shell report showed they were aware that global heating was real and caused by burning fossil fuels and that global temperatures and sea levels were rising and would rise further. So they covered it up and began sponsoring fake studies to deny climate change. <sighs> There's a report from Greece, uh, and this was by at TH, the number one, A-N, the number one. Uh, hashtag Greece for, this is from yesterday, 400 comrades marched through in downtown Athens today in solidarity with Chilean rebels. Hashtag Chile Desperto, hashtag Chile Resist. And they have some photos they shared as well. Also, and uh, Joe Fitz Rodriguez, who is a reporter in for the San Francisco Examiner, shared a couple of photos from yesterday as well. Uh, the words decolonize and this is stolen land were painted on statues spotted on what is known as Thanksgiving. Uh, statues of Spanish explorer uh, King defaced by, they call them vandals, I call them heroes and people doing the right thing, uh, near Lake Merced. And they have some photos there and you can follow Joe Fitz Rodriguez at at Fitz, F-I-T-Z, The Reporter. And Joe shared these yesterday. And the statues are covered in red paint. There's also a thread that's up. Um, Settler allies, for Thanksgiving, in the spirit of giving, please take the time to retweet and share some of that privilege with the indigenous people of this land. This will serve as a thread for native people to share their cash links so folks can give directly to indigenous folks. And you can find this. I've retweeted it on my page. And then also the original post is posted by Big Sister. And that's at S-H-O-T-H-E-E-K-W-E. Next up, I'm just going to go down the list here. Coalition on Homelessness, which is a great organization to support. Please financially support them if you're able. Also, pick up a street sheet. A lot of cities have various versions of street sheet, which are newspapers that are written, including 
poetry, articles, art by folks who are unhoused, and you can buy directly from them. It's a win-win situation. It provides folks some cash. Um, people, we can, I learn a lot when I read these papers. So please do support the Street Sheet, which I do believe is celebrating an anniversary this week. So Coalition on Homelessness says, we just got a donation of 48 t-shirts and 48 socks that will pass out during outreach. Let's try to top that. Keep the donations coming. And they say your Black Friday 2019 mandate, if you are buying something um, or donating, uh, warm hats, socks, tents, and tarps, pass them out to unhoused folks. It is freezing. Too many people we care about have died. If you can't pass them out, uh, DM us about where to drop off. And you can follow the Coalition on Homelessness, and that's here in San Francisco, at the Coalition SF. And they provide a lot of great information of ways to help out. Okay. Moving along. And as of November 26th, I'm not sure if this is still happening, but um, Oakland and Bay Area comrades, the Wood Street and 24th encampment in West Oakland is facing potential police action and residents there need support for when and if the pigs roll through. So that was shared. And um, so again, it's this thing that keeps on happening where folks who are unhoused, many of whom have had previously had housing and have been evicted. They set up communities where they can support each other. And it's, it's helpful for folks to have to set up camps with each other. So if someone needs to go to get food or use the bathroom or something, they can have someone else watch their stuff. And we know that the, it's the department of public works, the police officers, the folks who come in and often steal people's belongings, people's shelter, people's medications, people's walkers. It's really upsetting. So um, anything that, that, and obviously I also totally believe in self-determination. So I feel like folks who are experiencing something, they know what's best for them. And the idea that the city, whatever city that might be, tends, and this happens around the country, happens to go in and do these things called sweeps, which are in, even sound inhumane, using that terminology, is just awful. So if there are ways, if you do end up um, wanting to show up for folks, there are various ways that one can do that. And uh, people deserve to have, it, it feels really silly to have to even talk about that, just to say to leave people alone, to not harass people. Oh, goodness. So putting, putting that out there. Um, so Gabrielle Union, I don't necessarily go into pop culture too much on the show, although um, I, am, <clears throat> I am a real big movie buff and I love music and everything and I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of actors and artists and musicians. I'm really into it. I don't talk about it too much on the show today. However, when there's political leanings and things happen, I think it's important to share so um, Gabrielle Union uh, was fired from America's Got Talent because she spoke up um, about sexism and racism that was occurring on the show. Jay Leno came in and told a racist joke, and she spoke up about it, and she has been fired. And there's an article on Vulture.com, and so more power to her for speaking out. And it also just shows how... Like, it's, it's no wonder that folks don't speak out because oftentimes when people do, they're punished. And that's the thing, too, about why they're saying that there's no good cops is that the, the cops who do actually want to speak up and about what's happening, what's problematic, end up oftentimes either being fired or uh, forced to quit or threatened. So, 
Oh, we live in a, a culture where folks are, are threatened for speaking the truth and need to change that. Okay. I'm going to get to a few more things, and then we'll go to more of a music break. The SFist says on November 27th, uh, 50 people were arrested Tuesday, including three San Francisco supervisors, Matt Haney, Gordon Marr, Asha Safai, for failing to disperse from a sit-in at SFO's Terminal 2, pushing for higher wages and more affordable health care for airline catering workers. So grateful for all the folks protesting there. And also just the, I mean, yeah. Uh, Revealed, I'm not a fan of most of the people running for president. Uh, That's not a surprise, I would imagine. And really not a, I mean, I, yes. I know there are, some folks argue we should talk about what we do like and create the world that we want to live in and not focus on what's bad and what's negative about it. However, if there are folks who are running for positions of power and they cause great harm in the past, um, it's important to notify because I think a lot of things get covered up. And I'm not a fan of Pete Buttigieg. I've already gotten to a couple uh, arguments. I've I decided this time, this election round, I want to speak up and also step away and also recognizing the system's completely fucked and having different people in positions of power can only do so much and we need to do more on the ground. And, but I just think it's really crucial just to, to check in about neoliberals who, I mean, he's Peter Buttigieg his politics are really just even Republican though. It's not even like he's, uh, so this is from, excuse me. This is from the guardian revealed Buttigieg's 2020 campaign took money from top Kavanaugh lawyers campaign admits mistake yeah it's a mistake sure uh accepting thousands of dollars from alexandra walsh and beth wilkinson who represented the nominee and this was written by stephanie kirsch gessner in washington and this came out on november 27th i'll read a little bit of this there's also another article that's out i believe on the route talking about pete Buttigieg's uh record in south bend and just kind of siding with racist police and not let just um not how to how to best say this <sighs> not ensuring that folks have homes there so yeah if you yeah <sighs> okay Pete Buttigieg's 2020 campaign is returning thousands of dollars in donations from two top Washington lawyers who represented Brett Kavanaugh in his controversial confirmation hearing saying it will not accept funds from people who helped secure the justice's seat on the Supreme Court. And I'm going to move down the article a little bit. And he's also just been making a lot of money from wealthy folks, which you know is uh, uh, a bad scene. Um, yeah, so folks want to read the article. I'm going through it right now. I'm going to get... Uh, I just don't really have it in me right now to to go through it however you can read it again from the guardian and uh yeah that being said i think it's time to play some more music i'm gonna rest my voice a little bit it's 12 40 i'm taking phone calls here if you're interested in sharing anything you'd like 415-550-0511 switching over to the other mic right now and let's get some more music up and I prepared some of it ahead of time today. So a lot of the 
songs that played earlier, songs with who played earlier. Stories. I'm a little bit out of practice. I think it's fair for me to say that. I am a bit out of practice. So I'll take just a moment here while I bring up the other screen. And yeah, so the stories I was reading earlier just uh, remind me of, of this song quite a bit and in ways that many things have not changed. And uh, yeah, we are going to wait for this thing to come through. And yeah. Oh, yes. The infamous unmute button. Unmute this tab. And let's start this again. And we'll be back after a music break. Just you and me 
They're the ones that suffer each and every day. Teach the children, teach the baby, teach the babies, teach the children, teach the children, teach the babies, teach the children, teach the babies. They're the one who's coming out. That was the B-52s with Dirty Back Road. And, woo, before that, we heard Harold, Melvin, and the Blue Notes with Wake Up Everybody. Got a couple more stories here before we take another music break. And uh, I'm going to sit down. I've been standing up, and maybe that's why I'm feeling a little bit 
antsy. So, okay. <sighs> so, there's definitely a lot of themes on this show that are recurring, and quite often it's horrible things that Amazon has done. And the fact that Jeff Bezos is allowed to hoard so much money and run these companies where workers are continually in, in danger, it's disgusting in the fact that in this country, folks, there's a tendency to value people who have a lot of wealth, to look up to them, to aspire to be them, when in fact, they're the ones who are causing harm. And I feel perhaps if behavior can change, if we can change instead of looking at folks who hoard their wealth as being something to aspire to, as something good, um, and instead to oppose it, to hold these folks accountable. A lot of the ills that we, we face that we see around where folks don't have access to healthcare, housing, food, the basic needs. So many folks I know are in various forms of debt, school debt, <sighs> healthcare, that's something that billionaires could wipe out with no no problem at all and they choose not to they're in a position to to change that so the fact that this person is allowed to walk down the street without being hassled is outrageous the fact that folks want to be like him that want to work with him he, he needs to be held accountable he's just as guilty i feel as a as a war criminal who's someone who's plotting a war just because someone who is not actively, directly, perhaps, harming someone doesn't mean they're not doing that through policy or through inaction. And I'll read a little bit about this to back up my point a bit. Here's a couple of stories that just happen to be about some terrible things that have happened uh, through by Amazon. This is from the Indy Star. Indiana manipulated report on Amazon workers' death to lure HQ2 investigation says. This is written by Will Evans. Uh, This is a reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, and this came out on November 26, 2019. And the editor's note, the story was produced by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, a nonprofit news organization. And you can follow them at revealnews.org forward slash newsletter. When an Amazon worker was killed by a forklift in a Plainfield warehouse in 2017, the state of Indiana's investigator found the company was at fault. The state cited Amazon for four major safety violations and fined it $28,000. But an investigation by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting has found that as Governor Eric Holcomb sought to lure Amazon's HQ2 to Indiana, state labor officials quietly absolved Amazon of responsibility. After Amazon appealed, they deleted every fine that had been levied and accepted the company's argument that the Amazon worker was to blame. Holy shit, fuck them. And at this point, I'd only seen the headline, so I'm learning this as I'm reading it, and I don't know why I'm still... I'm not I'm not surprised. However, I am still just so disgusted. The investigator on the case, John Stallone, there's a name, had arrived at the warehouse a day after 59-year-old Philip Lee Terry was crushed to death. He was so troubled by the pushback he was getting from higher-ups that he secretly recorded his boss, cool, Indiana O OSHA director Julie Alexander as she counseled the company on how to lessen the fine. 
It's like being at a card table and you're having a dealer teach you how to count cards, Stallone said. He said pressure to back off came from as high up as the governor's mansion. The governor's office and Indiana labor officials declined interviews. In statements, they both called Stallone's account false. It began in September 2017 when Amazon announced a search for a second headquarters, saying it would invest more than $5 billion and bring as many as 50,000 jobs to whichever city won the sweepstakes. Holcomb got the news while on a trip to Japan. He turned home on a he returned home on a Friday night and spent the weekend in deliberations on the bid. On Monday, he announced his state would join the bidding war. He put the Indiana Economic Development Corporation in charge of putting together a package of local and state incentives. We are doing what Amazon has asked us to do, coordinating efforts with all interested regions of the state to put our best bid forward, he said in a, the statement. He had tough competition. Arlington, Virginia offered $550 million in cash and a helipad. Atlanta dreamed up an exclusive airport lounge with free parking for Amazon executives. Maryland's Montgomery County dangled $6.5 billion in tax incentives. The efforts of Indiana state officials to vie for Amazon's interest were about to intersect with Terry's life. Terry had been at Amazon for about two years. He started as a picker in a Plainfield Fulfillment Center, then moved to the maintenance department. He had a background in an unrelated field, marketing, but quickly took on the task of handling complicated industrial equipment. Terry had made a Terry made a surprisingly strong impact on his coworkers, even at a big, busy warehouse. He'd chat them up and make them laugh whenever he could, said Jenny Miller, who worked picking orders with Terry. There's only there's only kind of a few people that you ever meet in your life that have those kinds of sparkling personalities, she said. On September 24th, just a few days after he'd been eating ice cream and watching college football with his grandkids, Terry showed up for work and was sent to do maintenance on a forklift. He walked under the machine's forks and metal platform to work on it with a wrench. Suddenly, the 1,200-pound piece of equipment dropped down and crushed him. His body lay there nearly two hours before a coworker noticed the pool of blood. The next day, Stallone, a safety inspector with the Indiana Occupational Safety and Health Administration, headed to Amazon to investigate. Safety was the family business for Stallone. His father had worked his way up to become director of enforcement for the Alaska State Branch of OSHA. Years ago, when Stallone joined the U.S. Air Force and served in Afghanistan, his father told him that whatever his career, that wherever his career took him, to always get involved in safety work. And so he did, volunteering on safety committees in the military. And I'm going to make a little note that that's kind of unusual, considering that the military causes a lot of harm around the world. And I'll continue reading the story. Uh, then working in industrial safety in oil and gas fields. Oof. Again, another industry that that we don't necessarily need. Okay. Uh, on a shelf near his front door, he keeps a collection of hard hats from his safety work around the globe. As he surveyed the site of the accident, Stallone quickly figured out the problem. A tall pole lying just feet away should have been used to prop up the forklift during maintenance. In a recording he made of his inspection, Stallone asked an Amazon manager whether there was any written documentation of Terry being trained on that. No, sir, the supervisor says on the recording. He told Stallone that Terry had been informally trained by a co-worker. Stallone interviewed a co-worker of, of Terry's who put the blame on Amazon safety culture coming in second to production demands. 
The safety issues I've brought up have been dismissed and not dealt with, the worker said in a signed statement. I want to see the safety culture in Amazon change and ensure the maintenance workers have the appropriate amount of training. There's no training. There's no safety. It's get her done. Stallone repeatedly pressed Amazon to provide records showing Terry had been trained on that piece of equipment. In the end, he found Amazon failed to do failed to provide adequate training, exposing Terry to a fatal hazard. Indiana OSHA issued four serious safety citations for a total fine of $28,000. Stallone sought more, but he was getting pushback. On November 20th, 2017, Stallone joined his boss, Julie Alexander, the Indiana OSHA director, as she called Amazon officials. He secretly recorded the conversation, which is legal in Indiana, and shared the recording with Reveal. During the call, Alexander told the Amazon officials what she'd need from them in order to shift the blame from the company to quote-unquote employee misconduct that's so disturbing, according to the recording. And she walked them through how to negotiate down the fines. We sometimes like to consider grouping citations to lower the penalty amounts, she said. Ugh. She suggested Amazon could partner with, the, with her agency as a leader in safety, that's laughable, to kick off a program promoting best practices in the logistics industry. After hanging up with Amazon, Alexander said they're wanting to probably take this offer and go back and look and say, hey, we're partnering with Indiana. We're going to be the leader. She told Stallone, I hope you don't take it personally if we, we have to manipulate your citations. Amazon had said it would appeal the citations and had further information that it would share in confidential settlement negotiations. Alexander wondered what it would be. Then she speculated out loud that the information might be about Terry himself, saying, I'm guessing the guy was probably on drugs or something. By this point, a coroner had found nothing in his blood except nicotine and caffeine. Stallone said he was disgusted, but the pressure to placate Amazon didn't stop there. Oof. Some days after the conference call with Amazon officials, Stallone said Indiana Labor Commissioner Rick Rubel pulled him into his office. The governor was there, too, standing by the commissioner's desk, according to Stallone. He recalled that Holcomb told him how much it would mean to Indiana if the state won the Amazon headquarters deal. Then, Stallone said, the commissioner told him to back off the Amazon case or resign. Ugh. Stallone said he quit soon afterward. On December 6, 2017, Stallone sounded the alarm to a federal OSHA official. In an email he shared with Reveal, Stallone told the federal official that someone higher than Director Alexander wanted the Amazon case to go away in, hopes, in the hopes it would keep Indianapolis in the running for their new HQ location. The governor's office denied the meeting with Stallone, and the labor commissioner took place with press secretary Rachel Hoffmeyer, writing, the governor never gets involved in Department of Labor cases. The same day Stallone sent his whistleblower email, Amazon's corporate offices in Seattle gave a 1000 campaign contribution to Indiana's governor. It was years before Holcomb would next face a re-election, and Amazon hasn't donated to him before or since. A year after Terry's death, Indiana officials quietly signed an agreement with Amazon to delete the, all the safety citations and fines. The agreement said Amazon had met the requirements of an unpreventable employee misconduct defense. The official record now essentially blames Terry for his own death. That is so fucked up. And they have the documents here in the article. 
At that point, Indianapolis was one of the 20 finalists for the Amazon headquarters deal. Three and a half weeks after the citations were deleted, Amazon held a small business roundtable event in Indianapolis. Holcomb was there, sitting next to a company representative. Our tax and regulatory climates are very, not just attractive, but inciting, enticing, he told a local TV reporter at the event. And we want to grow together. Ultimately, Indiana didn't win the big sweepstakes as Amazon chose Arlington for its second headquarters. Federal OSHA declined to investigate Stallone's complaint. The Indiana Labor Department, which oversees the state, OSHA, responded to questions about Stallone's account for the meeting and Alexander's statements by email, writing that the allegations were nothing short of bizarre and fantastical, in addition to being absolutely false. In a later statement, the department said it couldn't prove Amazon should have known Terry wouldn't properly prop up the forklift. Labor Department spokesperson Stephanie McFarland said Amazon produced proof that Terry was properly trained, including a video of Terry handling the equipment the right way another time. But the agency did not provide any documentation of Amazon's evidence or any records that would corroborate the department's account. Whew. Uh, and the article goes on a little bit more. I will finish reading this because we have the time. Two former Amazon safety managers who spoke with Reveal on condition of anonymity, fear, and retaliation were aware of Terry's death at the time and faulted Amazon for failing to f- use formally trained maintenance professionals. One of them, a former senior safety manager, said Amazon had a systemic problem, vividly recalling a report from another warehouse in which a maintenance worker had also failed to properly brace a forklift while working on it months after Terry's death. If there is any misconduct there, it's putting a person that has little to no experience and working on this piece of equipment, said the other former safety manager who has worked at multiple facilities. Whoever allowed that to happen, that's the misconduct. Ashley Robinson, a spokesperson for Amazon, would not comment on the circumstances surrounding Terry's death, citing privacy concerns. Stallone was so troubled by the incident that he attended Terry's funeral. Someone died on the job because they don't have a good safety culture, Stallone said. I think Amazon was given a pass and they were able to walk away from this fatality incident with no blood on them. More than two years later, Terry's son, Zach, still thinks about his dad each day. I have a lot of anger built up because of everything that's happened, he said. He wasn't an accident. He was the patriarch of our family. And you can reach the writer of this article, Will Evans, at wevans at revealnews.org. Again, you can find this article at IndieStar, and that's amp.indiestar.com. And this came out on November 26th. Again, it was written by Will Evans. And wow, I have a lot of respect and support for for whistleblowers. And it's just so disgusting that this has been continuing to happen. Got a bit more of a music break. And then we'll be back with some more news after this. Shifting over to this other mic. I'm going to go through some of the music I'd had. Uh, lined up ahead of time, and then I'll be getting some other music towards the end of the program. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back after this.
gets It's terrible But it don't feel so bad I'm a vibe And I may hold a key For being grateful
Space. Get excited. Now I'm broke and it's no 
weekly review that was grandmaster flash with white lines and before that we heard cast off by bruce hornsby and featuring justin vernon got a couple more ah a couple more stories here and we're gonna go back to amazon because we're not done with them just yet there's more terrible things that they've been doing and it's important to talk about it i'm gonna take a deep sigh and get myself all ready here Thanks again so much for listening in. If you'd like to support the radio station, we are run through donations. And so you can donate to the station directly if you go to mutinyradio.fm. And also you can donate directly to the show. Um, looking to a big thank you. I don't thank the donors of the show nearly enough. And my apologies, I'm having issues getting into the Patreon site. So, um, but I do want to say thank you to all the folks who donate. And if you'd like to be a donor, you can do so. The site is patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Anywhere from a dollar a month is greatly helpful. Um, right now, about 12 bucks short from getting the month's dues. So anywhere, anything, if you have a couple bucks, it would mean a lot. I'm happy to volunteer my time. And also if the dues could be covered, that for the space rental, that would be greatly appreciated. So again, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Also, I'm on Venmo, R-O-M-A-N dash R-M-E-R. Super helpful if you're able. Thanks so much. 
Ugh. So, <laughs> next up, Amazon. Ugh. So, this comes from the site Boing Boing. Uh, Amazon secretly planned to use facial recognition and ring doorbells to create neighborhood watch lists. Gross. This is written by Corey Doctorow. This came out a couple days ago. Ring is Amazon's surveillance doorbell division. Uh, the whole sentence. It's, I'm not even done with the sentence, and that I'm already just gross. Okay. <sighs> Ring is Amazon's surveillance doorbell division, and a big part of their sales strategy involves terrifying people about the possibility of crime, partnering with police to assist in terrorizing Ring owners, and to provide police with warrantless, permanent, shareable access to surveillance doorbell footage, something the company has repeatedly lied about. Gee, where did I hear about Amazon lying before? Oh yeah, that last article we read. Gross. Hundreds of police departments have now partnered with Ring, and they act as buzz marketing teams for the company in exchange for freebies and access. From the earliest days, it's been rumored that Ring's strategy included facial recognition. Amazon has a giant facial recognition division called Recognition, and that's recognition with a K. Ugh, one of my pet, I have a lot of pet peeves, and things that I really despise are things that should be spelled with C's that are spelled with K's instead. So this would be one of them. Amazon denied that this even as they advertised for and hired a head of facial recognition research for Ring. Now, a leak reported by The Intercept reveals that Amazon once had a secret plan to use Ring cameras and facial recognition to automatically compile a watch list of neighborhood undesirables whose presence trigger alerts to Ring owners. The blacklist would be distributed through Amazon Ring's Neighbors app, which is currently a dumpster fire of racist white people sharing alarmed messages about brown people their surveillance doorbells recorded in their neighborhoods. It's not entirely clear how the watch lists would be compiled, but the leaked documents describe using AI to identify quote-unquote suspicious activity, which is not something that machine learning systems can actually do, but which many vendors claim they can. According to the Ring documents reviewed by The Intercept, which have not been previously reported, the company planned a string of potentially invasive new surveillance features for its product line, of which the facial recognition-based watch list system is one part. In addition to the facial watch lists, Ring has also worked on a so-called suspicious activity prompt feature that would alert users via a, an app phone Notification when a quote-unquote suspicious individual appears near their property's video feeds. In one document, this feature is illustrated with a mock-up. Excuse me. Uh, it's very cold outside, so folks, bundle up. Whew. Okay. Uh, this feature is illustrated with a mock-up of a screen in the neighbor's app showing a shabbily dressed man walking past a ring owner's garage-mounted camera. Suspicious activity suspected, warns the app. This person appears to be acting suspicious. We suggest alerting your neighbors. This is so fucking disgusting. The app then offers a large notify neighbors button. The document leaves how, how exactly suspicious is defined. Oh, the document leaves how exactly suspicious, and that's in quotations, is defined a mystery. And this also just reminds me of a Twilight Zone episode that has not yet been, or maybe it has, or Black Mirror, or one of those episodes that just talks about how paranoia and suspicion, inst I mean, instead of, this is, oh, instead of actually getting to know your neighbors and having conversations with them and getting to know the people in your neighborhood, it's the exact opposite of that. It's 
horrible. And then also, ugh, okay, I'm going to finish. A third potentially invasive feature referenced in the Ring documents is the addition of a proactive suspect matching feature described in a manner that strongly suggests the ability to automatically identify people of suspected People suspected of criminal behavior, again, whether by police, ring customers, or both is unclear, based on algorithmically monitored home surveillance footage. Ring is already very much in the business of providing, with a degree of customer consent, valuable extrajudicial information to police through its police portal. A proactive approach to information sharing could mean flagging someone who happens to cross into a ring video camera's frame based on some cross-reference list of suspects, however defined. Paired with the reference to a facial recognition watch list and ring's generally cozy relationship with local police departments across the country, it's easy to imagine a system in which individuals are arbitrarily profiled, tracked, and silently reported upon based on a system owned and operated solely by Amazon without legal recourse or any semblance of due process. Here, says Tashzar, Ring appears to be the con- to be contemplating a future where police departments can commandeer the technology of private consumers to match suspect profiles of individuals captured by private cameras with those cops have identified as suspect. In fact, exponentially expanding their surveillance capabilities without spending a dime. This is fucking disgusting. And they post a link to the article by Sam Biddle from The Intercept titled Amazon's Ring Plan Neighborhood Watch Lists Built on Facial Recognition. That is terrifying. Yikes. And again, this article is from Boing Boing, and it came out two days ago, so that would be November 27th, written by Cory Doctorow. Ugh, gross. Okay. Gross, I guess, is the word of the day. I have several words of the day. That's that one. And next up, I wanted to get back to Pete Buttigieg because I'm not done dragging him yet. And there's just so much, so many, yes. And this also comes from The Intercept originally. And this came out on November 26th. It was written by Ryan Grimm and Akila Lacey. Pete Buttigieg says marijuana arrests signify systemic racism. His South Bend police fit the bill. Ah. <sighs> And I'm going to scroll down the article a little bit. And in July, at an event in Iowa, uh, Pete Buttigieg shot down a racist question from the audience member by responding the fact that a black person is four times as likely as a white person to be incarcerated for the exact same crime is evidence of systemic racism. When pressed by fact checkers on his claim, he said that he was referring to the racial disparity in marijuana arrests nationwide, citing an ACLU study that found black people were 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for pot than whites. Uh, The disparity in South Bend, Indiana, however, has been significantly worse worse than that under Buttigieg, Buttigieg's leadership. Since Buttigieg became mayor in January 2012, taking charge of the South Bend Police Department, the city's black residents have been far more likely to be arrested for marijuana offenses than its white residents. That disparity in South Bend under Buttigieg is in fact worse than the rest of the country, or even the rest of Indiana. A black South Bend resident under the Buttigieg administration was 4.3 times more likely to be arrested for possessing marijuana between 2012 and 2018 than a white resident, according to data collected by the federal government. Meanwhile, in Indiana, statewide during that time, according to data from reporting law enforcement agencies, black people were 3.5 times more at risk of a pot arrest. Nationally, the disparity between the rates of black arrests and white arrests was 3 to 1. In the study, Buttigieg cited to back up his claim in Iowa, 
the ACLU in 2013 found a 3.7 to 1 disparity nationally. The study is also referenced in Buttigieg's Douglas Plan for Black America, which calls for marijuana to be legalized and arrest records to be expunged. South Bend has a black population of roughly 27,000 and a white population of around 64,000, and local police have made 1,256 arrests of pot possession since 2012. Of those, 805 were black, while just 449 were white. Nationally, the rate of marijuana use is roughly equal for blacks and whites. The disparity in South Bend policing extends to into other crimes. In 2018, 22 black people were arrested for selling weed in South Bend, while just four people were taken in. In 2018, 714 people were arrested for all drug-related offenses, despite making up just a quarter of the population, more than half of those, 384, were black. While overall, South Bend was worse than both Indiana and the country as a whole, there were some individual years during which arrest rates for black people in South Bend were lower than the statewide average. Sean Savitt, a spokesperson for the Buttigieg campaign, wrote in a statement, while mayors don't make the law related to drug possession, Pete has been an outspoken advocate for legalization because he recognizes the disparate impact these laws have in devastating black communities and the lives of black Americans, particularly young black men. It is also why he's one of the only candidates to make eliminating incarceration for drug possession part of his presidential platform, and it's why he's proposed legalizing marijuana, expunging past convictions, reducing sentences for other drug offenses, and applying those reductions retroactively. Before Buttigieg entered office, according to testimony from a former city official, a small group of white police officers conspired to push the city's black police chief, Daryl Boykins, out of his job, hoping to use donors to persuade Buttigieg to make the move. It is going to be a fun time when all... Ew. Gross. I'm not even... The white officer had a really fucking gross quote. You can read it in the article. It's disgusting. Buttigieg, amid a controversy over police recordings, did fire Boykins, but after protests from the black community, rescinded the firing and demoted him instead. <sighs> Though the parties deny any involvement, the affair, Buttigieg later, later wrote in his memoir, affected my relationship with the African-American community in particular for years to come. Henry Davis Jr., who was recently elected to a third term to city council told The Intercept he was unsurprised to hear the significant disparity in arrests. It's bad as hell here, said Davis. The numbers for African-American police officers has dro- have dropped to historic lows. He also said that Buttigieg has yet to make a human connection with the South Bend black community. He feels like it's an open book test. If I do these things, then I win, he said. He's discounting the fact that he's dealing with human beings. Davis lost to Buttigieg in a 2015 primary for mayor and has often butted heads with the city over policing. In October 2012, after leaving a a council meeting in which he voted against a police union contract, David was pulled over and detained at gunpoint. Davis, according to the dash cam video, protested what officers knew protested that officers knew who he was. I know exactly who you are, one told him, explaining he had been pulled over for a sudden lane change, though there's no evidence of such a lane change in the video. In the wake of the Boykins fiasco, Davis had reported to the South Bend Police Department to the Department of Justice for an investigation into the racist remarks caught on police recordings, and the officers sued him for defamation, which was tossed out of court. 
Jordan Geiger, a 28-year-old South Bend activist with Black Lives Matter, agrees with the prominent criticism that Buttigieg ignores the concerns of black people in South Bend. Mayor Pete is like, you know, he's very calculating, Geiger said. The mayor's focus on police accountability in his presidential campaign is puzzling, he continued, because we don't see that here in South Bend. Black Lives Matter activists held rallies in downtown South Bend in July and August to push the mayor on a set of demands for him and the police force among them. The removal and dem- demotion of several officers, including Chief of Police Scott Roskowski, Riz- who was implicated in suggesting the mayor who should replace, who was, um, excuse me, who was implicated in suggesting to the mayor who should replace Boykins. BLM wanted the mayor to create a civilian review board for incidents of police violence, along with instituting anti-bias testing and updated bias training. Buttigieg often touts the Board of Public Safety, Geiger said, which oversees disciplinary actions for police and firefighters, and which includes three black men. Indeed, after publication, a campaign spokesperson noted that the mayor-appointed board is majority-minority. Buttigieg, in a 2017 address, said that complaints about the conduct of officers is rare, but taken very seriously, citing as proof the existing Board of Public Safety, what he called one example of a citizen review board. In an April story, South Bend City Council member Regina Williams-Preston told the New York Times that the mayor's suggestion was a betrayal. Citizens had asked for a citizen's review board, and for him to say, now we have one, in fact, it's the same thing we've always had, that was really disingenuous, Preston told the Times. She did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Their political appointments, Geiger said of the Board of Public Safety. Geiger said activists have asked him to remove, has, have asked him remove and replace several members, but the mayor hasn't. He's not using any of his political capital to address these issues here locally. I think he just wants to get away from South Bend as quickly as he can. That, okay. Buttigieg has struggled to gain traction among non-white voters, polling close to zero among Hispanic and black voters. His chief po- his chief piece of policy outreach to the black community, the Douglas Plan, led to controversy when The Intercept reported that two of the top three high-profile black South Carolina supporters touted by the campaign were not, in fact, supporters of the plan or of Buttigieg. Geiger said he was unimpressed by the Buttigieg campaign's explanation for his lack of black support, namely that black voters simply aren't familiar with the candidate yet. It's very difficult to convince white moderates or white liberals to really get it, Geiger said. (sighs) Okay. So that article again is in The Intercept and it came out on November 26th, written by Ryan Grimm and Akilah Lacey. You can find that at theintercept.com. Moving along, we're going to play some music, take a bit of a music break. And I'm going to switch mics as I go over to do this. And I'm going to read a little bit of information here. And November happens to be um, Native American Heritage Month. So I wanted to also share some music um, by folks of indigenous descent. And thanks to Micah for sharing this uh, with me. And yes. So we're going to start off with a few songs here. And the first is Romeo Void with Never Say Never. And Deborah Lyall, the front woman, is Cowlitz and was an Alcatraz occupier activist. So we're going to start off with this song and we'll play a few more. And then we'll get back to the show. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned. 
and welcome back to the weekly review. That was Redbone with Come and Get Your Love. And Redbone members are mostly Yaki Shoshone. And before that, we heard the Ronettes with Be My Baby. And Ronnie Spector was the daughter of an Irish father and mother was of African-American and Cherokee descent. So we are approaching the end of the program. Thanks so much for listening. It's been a bit of a doozy today, I think, given the stories. And the shows, I feel, are often always better when I have guests on. And due to perhaps the timing and whatnot, wasn't able to get someone for today. However, hope to have some guests on in the in the more near future. And if you'd like to listen, if this is the first time you're listening by chance, check out the archive. I've been in the show now for almost six years. And the last four years or so are in an archive that four and a half, maybe five. I don't know. But if you go to mutinyradio.fm, we've got the archive up and I've had some really incredible guests on, artists, community organizers, activists, lots of folks I've talked to who have shared really great information, stories, their art, their music, so much here. So wanting to put that out there for more listening enjoyment for you all. And there's still a lot of stories didn't get to, so I was going to do a brief rundown of headlines, and if you'd like to read more, again, if you follow follow me on Twitter, I don't really share my own stuff. I mostly share stories that are written by other folks to put the word out. So again, if you follow me at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R, I'm mostly sharing other news items, which might not make it to mainstream media. So... Folks have been protesting at Google. People have been protesting all around the world, everywhere, and a lot of us don't hear about it, myself included, until you happen to read someone directly tied to the source who shares it. So there were folks at Google who were organizing, and they were retaliated against, and they were fired, which sounds like that's kind of a a common thing that happens. And one person named uh, Meredith Whitaker shared, a few of those Google fired for organizing are extremely senior engineers. Google spends hundreds of millions of dollars recruiting and retaining these folks, the company's desperately hoping this crushes organizing ASAP because they can't afford to do this many more times. And wanted to share Meredith's Twitter handle is oops at M E R underscore E D I T H. And used to work Meredith used to work at Google doing open research. And I also wanted to share a bit about the one of the other organizers there who was fired, and she was also sharing her experience. And uh, the name is Rebecca Rivers, and you can follow Rebecca on Twitter at try, and that's T-R-I underscore Becca, B-E-C-C-A, nine zero. And so, yes, Rebecca was one of the, she's a software engineer who was terminated from Google. And so Google's known as a notorious union busting firm. So wanting to put that out there for folks and Google needs to be broken up like many other monopolies. Also, I read recently that big lots, which I happen to like, it's a store that has, you know, low priced goods. They're anti-union as well, which is really sad to stay to say sad to say. Yes. So on Friday, last Friday, uh, there was a rally, town hall rally at Google in San Francisco and on medium.com. I'm just clicking through this article right now to share this as well. Whew, this came out on November 26th, uh, written by Lawrence Berland. And there, there's a transcript of the speech that Lawrence gave. And it's really about 
folks working at Google who are trying to organize and they're being retaliated against. So definitely um, whether or not you're in the tech industry, whether or not you're a labor organizer, I feel it's important to understand what's happening. So putting that out there as well. And there is a couple other things. Also, there have been, I think I mentioned earlier how they've been adding to criminalizing poverty just pretty much around the world and especially here in mass transit and public transportation should be free. It should be accessible for everybody. However, instead of dealing with the fact that some folks can't afford fares, they are instead hiring police officers. It makes, it's a waste of money. It's cruel. They've in New York, they uh, cops drew a gun on a kid who happened to jump a turnstile and it's like, it's what two seventy five there, $2.75. So they, for, a little bit of money, not very much at all, instead of just being like letting that person go, because okay, they don't have the money, let them ride the train. The trains are going anyway, who cares? They instead end up hiring officers, which is a waste of money, and then also the officers end up traumatizing communities. It's fucking reprehensible. They also were arresting vendors, people selling churros, kids selling candy. This It's really upsetting and and disturbing that this is what they think is a, a good use of time and money and energy and it causes great harm. And I know some folks argue about the money issue. Like it, it, it's, I mean, it's all just an excuse for criminalizing the poor and non-white folks. That's what this leads to or what it is really. And they, they say, Oh, they're breaking the law and they make up these things similar to the, the article I read about Pete Buttigieg where there was the person who was driving and then was pulled over for supposedly not signaling when he, switch lanes even though that wasn't true at all it's like they'll make up they'll make up any reason to arrest to harass people instead of just letting people be and they're the ones in this in this case the state's the ones causing the violence causing the harm causing the fear dividing communities <sighs> so that was in new york the mta there have been a lot of protests and i believe maybe two weeks ago, and I, I was unable to bring it up right now. However, maybe it was two weeks ago, within the last two weeks, there have been a lot of protests um, and folks jumping, the, you know, folks in solidarity jumping the fair gates of the MTA. And in New York, I think over, I, th- I want to say 58 people were arrested. There was a big protest against the NYPD and people were arrested. And often, and it's, again, it's, it's so clear to me and I hope it's clear to other folks exactly what's happening where it just, the police just going after people for wanting to live. And it's not just in New York. It's been happening here at the Bay area. I don't know if I, if I got it to it last week at all, but there was a, a man who was eating a burrito on uh, or sandwich on who's eating i think a sandwich on a platform waiting for the train as many of us do and a cop tried to arrest him i think i I think i got to that and it was just so ridiculous because they sell food downstairs at that station and many people eat many people have to like of all the things like i've never been bugged by someone eating it it's like good you're taking care of yourself you're eating we need more of that it's awful so and that was of course the you know the bart police who have also killed people same same agency and I also wanted to get back to another story. And, okay. Two more things I'll get to. And this is also from Joe Fitz Rodriguez, the reporter. And he tweeted on November 26th, 
uh, roughly 80% of people cited by BART police for eating and drinking at BART were black and Hispanic, according to data obtained by the SF Examiner. Meanwhile, 10% of its ridership is black and 17% is Hispanic. And this was in the SF Examiner on November 26th. You can also follow SF. It's at SF Examiner. BART data shows police overwhelmingly cite black Latino riders for eating and drinking. So there's, that's only, I mean, that's the evidence you need. It's just, just disturbing. And wanted to go back to what's happening at Google. And part of the reason that folks have been quitting at Google is that Google has, there's like a US military drone uh, AI project happening at Google. So it's not just the worker rights, it's the who Google is in cahoots with, who they're working with. And many folks, including there's also just the you know, No Tech for ICE, which has been going on for a while. Um, there's an article in CNET, Project Maven, that's what it's called, Maven. Nearly a dozen Google employees have reportedly quit in protest. Over 3,000 Google employees signed a protest letter in April. Now a few are reportedly walking out. And this was from actually last year, but I think this is in what it's regards to. This was written by Sean Hollister, May 14th, 2018. Again, CNET.com for the article about Project Maven, which I think is in relation to why some of the folks... Um, were fired and that they were speaking out against this project. They did not want to work on it. They do not want to be part of a project that causes great harm to humanity. And to retaliate, the company fired them. So, whew, wanted to share that. And I recognize that this is all super upsetting. And also, there are folks who are walking out, there are folks who are speaking up, there are people who are organizing. So I, I sometimes get to that more on this show than others and wanted to provide that sense of hope. And just grateful for whistleblowers, grateful for people for speaking up and showing up and helping others. And there's so many different ways that folks can do that. And I want to reiterate that, of course, the diversity of tactics. You can share information with people, you can donate if you have capital, you can support folks who are organizing, you can speak truth to power. There's so many ways, and it's been going on for a long time, so more power to the people. Okay, going to finish up with a couple songs as it's, oh yeah, it's almost two. So a couple more songs by a couple, some more folks here, and um, the first, I'll do the introductions because I'll be just signing off right afterwards, and again, this is um, music. I'm saying I'm a lot for folks with indigenous of indigenous descent. The first will be by uh, Ling Ray, Link, excuse me, Link Ray, L-A-N-K-W-R-A-Y, who's self-identified Shawnee descent with the song Rumble. And then Jimi Hendrix, uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience with uh, All Along the Watchtower. And Jimi Hendrix often spoke proudly of his Cherokee grandmother. So we'll play these couple songs and then we'll be back. Uh, I'll be recording sometime early next week and the show will be on again next week. So have a great week, everyone. And we'll be back soon enough.